Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Softbox Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Bram van der Borch. I'm professor of robotics at the University of Brussels. And I'm also core lab manager of uh, Flanders Make in a, uh, on flexible assembly. And that's to support the Flemish manufacturing uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So could you please tell us about your research in soft robotics? Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, our work started a uh, long time ago on uh, pleated pneumatic artificial muscles and my PhD was on implementing them in a bipedal walking robot called uh, Lucy. Uh, so it's in fact a soft articulated uh, robot, uh, so the links are still uh, rigid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we wanted to see if those pneumatic muscles, uh, how the variable stiffness can improve the energy consumption of uh, walking robots, and that led them to the further development of uh, the Makepa actuator, which is a variable stiffness actuator, which we implement now in applications, both for health and manufacturing, so exoskeletons, prostheses, uh, cobots, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Cool. So why you choose to work soft robotics, and when and how you become interested in? Yeah, so... Uh, our vision is that uh, robots and humans are, are very different, they have very different strengths, and that we should combine the complementary strengths of both of them to uh, face societal challenges like the aging population and the need for healthier and better work, and also to create new economic opportunities. And then, of course, safety is of primary importance, uh, but also energy efficiency and so on. And that's why it led us to the as a fundamental part of our work uh, in the lab is to develop new actuator principles and to implement that in applications in the beginning more for health and now we're part of Flanders Make, uh, also for the manufacturing industry. Mm-hmm. So what is the current challenges that you would like to solve in terms of designing new software actuators? What are the challenges you, you already have? Yeah, so, uh, So as I said, energy efficiency and safety is very important. And then we introduced elastic elements in the uh, actuators. And that solved a part of the problem because with that elastic element, you can store and release energy. Uh, But in the meantime, and also funded by my ERC grant that's now finished, we started to look in other ways to improve energy efficiency. And that is to use locking mechanisms, because if you need to hold a certain weight, the mechanical energy is zero, but the electrical motor often still has to consume energy to maintain that torque. And if you can use locking mechanisms, you can also improve the energy efficiency. So instead of only using series springs, we also started to use parallel springs with locking mechanisms. For example, in our prosthesis at the ankle and the knee, to improve the energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. And then we also started to use redundant activation. Hey, our muscles are not made of one big motor with a spring, but are made of several series and parallel 
uh, muscle fibers. And that's the idea we also had to use redundant activation because an electric motor has a high energy efficiency in a very narrow region, while our robots work at high torques, fast speeds and so on. And a bit like a hybrid car, say, where you combine several engines, the idea is that we combine several motors so the overall system doesn't cannot only provide the torque profile or the position profile that is needed, but also have other requirements like improve the energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now in soft robotics, there's two roles about using smart material that can think, which is term called inbuilt intelligence. And the other way that designing control algorithms that can co- control passive materials and designing and achieving desired mechanical performance. I don't know which route do you think we have to focus in the long run. Is it go to designing smart material that could think and, and actuate or just designing control algorithm to control passive materials? Yeah, what you, we usually think is, is a combination of all. So what we usually try to do is to make as much as possible passive so that the natural dynamics of the system exhibits the mostly the desired function or dynamics of the system so that the overall control should be minimized. But I don't believe that without control, that's all possible, or at least for the applications uh, we target. So I think you need to have then also an, uh, at a model-based control on top of it because that gives very much insights how the function will function because, for example, we use variable stiffness actuators to improve energy efficiency, but we prove that, yeah, it's not because you have them that you have automatically energy-efficient robots. With soft actuators, you can make it even much worse. The same with safety. We had this very safe robot arm, but it can also store a lot of energy because the compliant elements can store energy which in some situations can lead to very dangerous Mm -hmm. behavior. And that's why you need a control in order to exploit also that inherent uh, safety. So it's, I think, a combination. And then I think you also need model-free control, and that's more direction of AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, uh, we do for our prosthesis a lot of model-based control, but designing, desiring, which gate has climbing stairs, walking uphill, downhill, for example. Yeah, for that, we are using, for example, deep learning mm-hmm. networks to, to learn in which gate to see, okay, which type of control we need. Do we need to inject more energy, less energy, uh, and so on. So I think it's a combination of, of all, and that's also how we, we do it in our lab. We try to combine the several aspects, and I think that's also the future. Interesting. So, what are the most interesting projects you are currently involved in with soft robotics? Yeah, in fact, we just launched today a, a press release mm-hmm. about uh, a new uh, FED, European FED project that we are coordinating, uh, and it's about self-healing uh, mm-hmm. robots. So, it's also a bit uh, the previous question. It's designing smart materials, materials that are able to, to heal uh, itself. Uh, we're also producing now conductive self-healing material. So the idea is we can embed 
sensors in our self-healing fingers, for example, to with the aim to not only detect uh, pressure or deformation, but also, for example, detect, for example, the health of our material. So, for example, we can do preventive healing so that uh, the part will not have a fatal damage. So we can heal already microcacks. But also here it's uh, the idea of self-healing smart materials mm -hmm. with sensing capabilities and also probably we will need AI techniques and that's why also Professor Familia Ida from Cambridge University is part of the project to see if we can use those uh, learning methods to yeah, to make sense of all those sensory information yeah, to detect if there is deformation, force or material damage that's happening at that time. So I think it's a, a very new uh, project. We're also trying to do additive manufacturing with the material because it's a material that contrary to the materials we're used to use with 3D printing cannot melt because it's a network polymer. So we had to do modifications in order to, uh, to make a 3D print. Another big advantage that our material has is that we can combine materials with different mechanical properties. And the problem is that at the interface, there is often the weak spot because it's based on adhesion uh, and there often the material damages. But our self-healing material has chemical bonds that can make a perfect chemical bonding at the interface. And that gives also a lot of opportunities to go to embodied design with desired functionality, how it should uh, deform. So I think there is a lot of opportunity in those materials as well. That's a pretty interesting uh, project and absolutely new. Yes, so it just started, yeah. although uh, we submitted a few times. Yeah. Uh, so in the past uh, years and also in the ERC grant, we already uh, developed uh, the founding technology of it. It was a science robotics paper two years ago, uh, and we added additive manufacturing, uh, manufacturing, uh, multi-material designs, and so on in the mm -hmm. in the meantime. I have a question here about because we all know that sometimes material like any conductive polymer or conjugated polymer in general has some limitation and in terms of the mechanical performance, as well as replicability issues and making sure it's not vulnerable uh, in applications. So I don't know if this is also uh, taken consideration uh, in the project uh, about this, the current limitation we already have in, in polymer uh, as, as actuators, like any conductive polymer, for instance. Uh, yeah, so that's why we it's a joint work between the soft robotics, but also the material scientists. Mm. And I think it's very important in such a project to have those uh, material scientists inside the project uh, because they really understand very well the behavior of the material. They can do really a lot of uh, experiments. They have a fully equipped lab to, to understand the characteristics uh, and the behavior of the material. Uh, and I think that's uh, very important. And so all the things you mentioned, we will try to, to do in the project. So there is not only our, from the VUB, the material scientists, but also from EMPA, which are the material 
Institute in Zurich yeah. and also from Paris. So it's a really a joint project. Of course, in the beginning, it's always a challenge because we talk different languages and expectations. Yeah. But because we have now at the VEB already several years of collaboration and we understand each other's language better, we hope we can use that in the in the project to facilitate. Yeah, and that's that makes a question exactly about soft robotics is diverse and interdisciplinary. So how we can really overcome the challenges of speaking different languages? As you mentioned, you the recent project, material science and you are in mechanical engineering and control and AI. So do you think that there's a challenging and if you already have solved that, that speaking the one language that everyone can understand how do you think about this part? Yeah, so uh, because uh, indeed uh, robotics is an integration of many technologies, uh, at the VEB we started to have a multidisciplinary research group called Robotics, where we have scientists from robotics, but also from the AI lab and from the sensors uh, lab. But also because we're dealing with human-robot interaction, uh, the human is very important, and we design products for the end users, so we want from the very start to have them in our projects. So we also collaborate with uh, human revel- a human physiology uh, lab, for example, because we want to investigate the impact of our robots on the human body, the rehabilitation lab, the psychologists, the sociologists, the philosophers, uh, and so on. So many mm-hmm. of our projects are very multidisciplinary. And so it's indeed at the very beginning a huge challenge because, yeah, we talk a completely different language, like even a force and a torque. For someone else, it's it's a very abstract concept. And I think the most important thing is give it time. Yeah, really let the people work together, give it time. Don't expect from the first day results because at the beginning it will be much slower. But then if at a certain mo- moment... Uh, the persons will be able to communicate with each other. And then I think the, the science will progress much faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for the PhD students, of course, at the beginning, it's kind of risky eh? because yeah, in a few years, they need to finalize the PhD. And at the beginning, it's slower. Uh, but I think at the, the boundary between all the, those disciplines there, I think the real future developments can be made. Eh? Because for example, for that Shira project, uh, self-healing materials existed before, mm. soft robotics also existed, but because we could combine the two, and that gave really very important mm. new insights and new capabilities that we could offer to both fields, uh, in fact. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what do you think the most promising projects have been done so far by other research group and soft robotics community? Yeah, I think there are many very promising things. I am especially uh, fond of the ERC grant of Metin City mm-hmm. uh, from Max Planck Institute, mm-hmm. because it's also a complete different scale of robots that we're also used to make. It's a very small scale robots. Uh, and where they really show that they can embed a physical intelligence by, by sh- making a proper design with also again, properties of the material to exhibit different mm-hmm. uh, mobility uh, behavior. Uh, so I really uh, like a lot his work. It's very also at the edge. And mm-hmm. I think I will not yet be able to do so, but I 
we're at the moment also developing that conductive material and also materials with magnetic uh, behavior. And I think maybe in the future, maybe we can even make for him uh, robots that are micro, but can exhibit that behavior. But of course, it's not what we're able to do because yeah, the control and uh, the measurements at that very small scale is, is very different what we're used to work in our lab. Oh, interesting also. So how do you see soft robotics uh, um, in the future and what could be the challenges as well? So if we speak first about the challenging, now you work in self-healing material and integrated with original robotics research. But how you could see the challenges in the coming few years? Do you have any ideas what the really challenging we have? Yeah, so I think it's it's spring examples to the market eh, because we do a lot of promises uh, mm. and that's why we get funding but I think it's a huge challenge to really bring them to the market but I also think it's a, a logic behind that it takes some time and so uh, when we started with variable stiffness actuators like uh, yeah my PhD started in 2003 so it's a while ago mm. and there at that time it was like why you need that softness in hey, it's not good for precision and we got some resistance but it takes 10 15 years before you you go from a new development like a new actuator implement that in application and then go it to the market if for example we just uh, started a new startup company uh, axillus bionics to bring our prosthetic feet and ankle to the, the market but there is a huge history behind it and now it's even still in a research prototype and now the company has to develop it into a, a prototype for the market which also requires still a lot of R&D to make it robust, safe, uh, CE compliant and all the regulations uh, around it so it really brings some time but I think in the meantime for the soft robotics I think it's important to, to still focus on, on science, like we need standards, we need reproducible research, we need benchmarking tests, mm. test robustness, because sometimes I still see papers where something is inflated or mm. uh, is vacuum and it moves uh, and it's a robot, while there's still a lot of uh, other challenges, like, yeah, how long it will work like that and, and so on. So uh, it's a logic that such a new field uh, needs time to evolve, uh, to become mature and to go to applications. And that's a, a matter of uh, trying and trying and failing and mm -hmm. failing. Uh, and I think maybe, for example, in, in failing, we need also maybe communicate much more about what goes wrong uh, and not only what goes well, because from that also the field can learn, I think. That's a very excellent point about that you highlight that how we can make sure that these robots can, how many times can work. It's about replicability issue. And also, um, awareness, what is wrong is happening. So from your perspective, because you're already a leading researcher in the field, um, how we can really enhance this kind of thought that we can uh, bring to the table what is wrong we had already in research or how we can make sure this could really last for longer-term applications and make sure it's reliable. Yeah, uh, I'm also the editor-in-chief of the Robotics and Automation magazine. And yeah. there, for example, we included our articles. So articles 
which all the details included so someone can reproduce it. Mm. And the idea is that you can answer to that article with a new article where you can replicate the results and discuss the replication of that results. And that's also, uh, mm. when of course it's for, uh, proper science and so on, yeah, perfect, can be published yeah. in the magazine. And in the next issue, we will have for the first time such an R article uh, published and also the tools become available. Of course, in robotics, it's it's a challenge because, for example, for math, I mean, that's rather easy to reproduce. But of course, to replicate, for example, a, a self-healing robot, mm. yeah, we have a whole lab with a lot of experience behind us uh, to do such a thing. And others have like a lot of experience and machinery for micro robots and so on. So of course there is a huge challenge in it, but that doesn't mean we should not at least try mm. and introduce in the field this reproducible uh, research. And that's why the magazine together with its board decided to, to push uh, this because I think it will be more and more uh, requested. Uh, mm -hmm. And then on the failures, yeah, we're uh, from uh, our, of course, conferences, journals, uh, and also AE projects, we want to express what went good and the positive and the successes. Uh, while we never talk, and it's also very challenging to to uh, to publish negative results. So mm. maybe also as a field, we need to think. Uh, how we can communicate uh, about it and I don't know maybe have a session in soft robotics with all the failures mm. that wow. we had and so idea. others can can learn about it that's a good idea yeah so how do you see soft robotics would be in the future if you just said okay I can see soft robotics in our homes like move a big hero six or something but I don't know how you see into your mind okay I see it into the future like that how, how you see it yeah, it's a tough question. I think probably we will see first it in, in industry and, and then probably at our home, I think, because mm. at uh, industry, there's still a bit more structured environment than our home. Uh, uh, but I think we need to see soft robotics as a, a key technology, which can be part of a bigger project. So I don't think that we need to expect soft robotics as a complete soft robot that enters our house. But I think we need also to see, yeah, maybe it's a soft skin or a soft hand or a soft finger or another part of another body that maybe doesn't need to be completely soft. And I think there, I think, will be the first evolutions that can be commercialized. For example, we see it already in the food industry where we, we have a Belgian company Octinion, for example, that have strawberry robots, their whole robot is not soft. Eh? They, it's still on wheels and, and I think a rigid robotic arm, but the grasp, the, the strawberries, it's such a delicate operation and they use soft uh, grippers for that. So I think there it's important that we, we don't need to see, I think, the rigid bodies are, are rather as kind of enemy or as mm. I think it's a complementary field. And depending on the needs for the application, we can go to very soft robots or intermediate ro I mean, softness and so on. And I think we need to exploit the richness we have in nature. And we have also in nature from completely soft 
uh, animals like octopus to very rigid ones they're like lobsters and crabs that have an exoskeleton which is very rigid and all the things in between and i think it will also be for applications like at a certain moment hey baymax also had a harness to protect himself which was rigid so i think uh, we need to exploit that richness in materials mm. another i think is the key of soft robotics to bring their behavior in it and not focus everything has to be soft yeah so how you see soft robotics in in this sector because you, you see that you have spinoff for startup uh, from your lab uh, do you think that based on the current indexes that soft robotics can find its a uh, room uh, between the markets how do you see that the- yeah yeah so we're a lot in the manufacturing industry Uh, busy now with cobots eh, that are kind of soft articulated uh, uh, robots and then I think especially for gripping it's still a huge challenge and now we will also submit a, a Flemish project to develop soft grippers dedicated for for example fruits or mm. other components and at the moment uh, the production techniques are rather rapid eh? it's easy to print something or to laser cut something But to design something still takes time, and I think there can be made also advances. Uh, and and that's, I think, those soft grippers, uh, which are more reliable, eh, because that's also the issue with existing sometimes commercial things that the material has to wear. And that's why I think the possibility to have the self-healing can bring benefits, and that the, the, the durability, the robustness of it can be have an extended life, which makes it maybe and hopefully more interesting for uh, industrial applications. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you, what do you think about Soft Robotics Inc., a company, and the products we have in Soft Robotics so far? Yeah, what I always really like is that people dare to have robotic companies, because it's a, it's a huge challenge to have such a company. Uh, I wrote uh, in... Uh, as an editorial for the magazine uh, Robotic Dreams, Robotic Realities, it was called. It was taken over by Spectrum, in which uh, some leading robotic scientists discussed the failures of some robotics, mostly in the uh, social robot side, like Anki and Jibo and so on. And it's extremely hard and difficult to make such a company. So I think it's very important that... Uh, people at least try uh, uh, and find the money and the investors in it. It's it's difficult to not overpromise eh, because otherwise we will have huge expectations, uh, especially the, the customers, eh, because they see very fancy uh, movies on YouTube. Also, for example, oh, wow, we see self-healing robots and then we saw the sun like making an article and now they can be shot and then they go down and they stand up again and hit you back and yeah that's of course very dangerous eh? we need to say yeah what are the limitations eh? because also our materials still have a huge amount of limitations but gradually i think it will evolve and such uh, companies will be sustainable and 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 be and survive on the market but it's a huge challenge and yeah i think I'm always very uh, happy with, with people that decide to go for a company because I think that's incredibly important. Oh, nice. 
So what is the current cooperation you have already with robotics? You highlighted in the recent projects you cooperate with different uh, uh, research entities. So could you please tell us more about that? Yeah, so we just started uh, since June that Shira project. Uh, that's with Fermi Aida, a very well-known soft robotics professor. Uh, so that's will the coming three years, we will develop a lot on this. We also have, for example, uh, a European project uh, called Spexer, which is uh, especially my uh, colleague, Professor Lefebvre, is working on that, is to make a, an exoskeleton to support the back. And there we don't use complete soft materials, but we use flexible beams in order to support the back. We also introduce there uh, misalignment compensation mechanisms because our joints are very complex and the rotation point changes and it's very difficult to find. Uh, so we develop mechanisms that compensate for this misalignment. Uh, we have also Flemish project to develop an exoskeleton for the arms to support workers and like working in non-ergonomical conditions. Uh, so we have several European and national projects where we uh, go also towards those applications. Mm-hmm. So what is the most professional achievement you are proud of in soft robotics since you were a Rabichi student working in a pneumatic artificial muscle till now? What is the most really something you're proud of? Yeah, so I think that's a feeling. I think it was a, a very different concept uh, that we introduced. And I think that was a real novelty uh, in the field. And it's in fact a, a funny story why we came to that, because my uncle is a material scientist and he mostly works mm. in uh, metals and he develops telefilling coatings. Mm-hmm. And then during a Christmas party, <laughs> we said, yeah, I want to have this in our robots. <laughs> and his son, my, so my nephew, uh, uh-huh. didn't have a student project. So he started to dig into this and now he's almost finishing his PhD. And that's really the start of that self-healing concept. And it was also very funny because Professor Dar- uh, Darwin Caldwell, with whom I did my postdoc in IIT, mm-hmm. I still remember him saying, yeah, I have a dream to have this self-healing material. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, this is completely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny that, yeah, I'm actually now having projects and working in that field. So I you know. see, sometimes a dream mm-hmm. can also become a reality. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, the market now is interested in AI, and you highlighted at the beginning that we you, you really use deep learning in, 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 in your projects for soft robotics and fluctuators. So, do you think we have to integrate AI and soft robotics and coming up with new terminology? How do you see this integration should be? Or uh, could you please tell us more about that? Yes, yeah, so... For the European Commission, AI is now, I don't remember the definition anymore, but anything that kind of system that exhibits an intelligent behavior, and they really see robotics as part of AI. Of course, we from the field still see AI as as a methodology in computation to learn, and it's an encapsulation of deep learning and reinforcement learning and big data Mm. uh, and so on. So, but for the European Commission, it's really the AI is a big umbrella that covers also uh, robotics. And I think it's for uh, us as, as Europe a challenge how to position ourselves because 
AI is big in USA. Yeah? There you have Facebook and Google, and it's huge amount of data that they can have. In China and Asia, it's more government-owned data. And how we place Europe mm. with our own model in between. And there, I think, we need to see. And robotics and machines are very important in Europe. Hey, robotics, we have still a lot of leading robotics companies. And so I think how we can position is to learn from small amount of data. Hey, for example, in our self-healing, yeah, we don't have million points of data to to learn which is of the forces and is there damage so we need to be able to learn from much smaller data sets and also what i think is we need to include ethical aspects in mm. the in the in the ai uh, like privacy responsibility uh, and so on and i think there is a huge opportunity so i hope as Europe, we can include AI. And for example, in our university, we had the first AI lab on mainland Europe. So we have a long history in, in AI at our university. And that's also why we will in the future more closely work together uh, where robotics and AI, yeah, because AI needs an embodiment and that is our robots and our robots needs, yeah, at a certain moment, our model-based control yeah, has also its limitations. So I think the marriage, the wedding between the two is really uh, very thoughtful for the future. And we need to think how we can combine the two. But also I'm a bit afraid that Europe wants to go too much only to AI and forget about new materials, megatronics and so on. Mm. Uh, so I hope uh, Europe will not forget about it because I think it's still a, a core strength. We don't need to take over the other models. We need to make a, re- a European model, how we include AI in our research and in our innovation. That's a good point, because I think that's about awareness about other sub-research like material science. And you have led to something, I think, very interesting and complex about using AI and self-healing material, which is really important in, in any way. Exactly, yes. And that's really complex because we need more of data and material itself is challenging to get a lot of data and consistent data. So yeah, it, it is really interesting and complex and must be highlighted how it's really important. That's really yeah, good and point. For example, imagine the material damages. Huh? Mm. Uh, it's damaged. Yes, somehow we had to recalibrate probably because the electrical properties will not be exactly the same anymore. So how we can learn this new yeah, embodiment because it will be slightly different and how we can adapt to that very quickly without going through a whole learning cycle, mm. which takes a lot of data anymore, but learn very quickly. Yeah. So still a lot of work to do. Yeah. So I think this question really applies to you because I'm asking from your perspective how we can engage in our public and soft robotics. Uh, you were you or BIM candidate in 2014 and also now you are a candidate for municipal election for your hometown. So I think and uh, you have a leading position also in editor-in-chief for IEEE Rest magazine. So I don't know how, how you, I think you have in mind that something combined, what you do in your research and general public. Do you have something like that? Like that? Yeah, I think it's very important uh, because especially in Europe, uh, the general public tend to be afraid of, of robots, mm-hmm. uh, which is very different, I think, from Japan, for example. So that's why, for example, at our university, we, we made a new book 
which is called Homo Roboticus, which is also now in English translation available on Amazon. And it's a very unique book because 56 academics from our university thought about the central question, how we can keep the human values like solidarity, freedom and equality stand ground in a robotized AI world. And so it discusses, yeah, will those robots be smarter? How we can recycle them? Do we need ethics? What about our work? Uh, do we will have relations with our robots? So from very different angles, we answer uh, 30 thought-provoking questions. And at the end, we come to an inclusive robot agenda, like how our society, our policymakers needs to transform to make the best out of those robots. Because robots is not like a hurricane that overcomes us, but we can shape that technology. And, and which policies we need to introduce. So as a country, as, a, as Europe, we can, as a, as a worker, as a, in our home for our life and society, we can take benefit of our robots. And so I think it's a very interesting book. And we also, when we presented the book, we also introduced artists in it, like Victoria Modesta. She's a bionic uh, pop artist. Mm. Uh, we, and we made an opera of Flux Tales, which is an AI pioneer. Uh, so we made an opera about it. So we included also uh, arts to reflect how we can shape the future and which roles robots should have. And that's the book Homo Roboticus. Mm, yeah, I, I saw that you already highlighted. You have to read it through your vacation or something. You have to read yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's now the time to read it during the holidays. Yeah, exactly. we will do that definitely. So I would like to ask you because this is really a really good point that about policymaker understanding. How do you see the singularity in soft robotics? Do you think that we can come to point that we don't know where we go, or you have some kind of so that soft robotics can already take the normal job that a human can do? For instance, when we have fruit picking or something. So. Do you afraid you have such kind of thoughts all this could be really not going well in some point if we have soft robotics and dominating an industry and no jobs for human? Uh... Uh, I think uh, such a singularity point is still very far away, mm. which doesn't mean uh, that at the moment we don't have ethical concerns about the use of robots. So someone from a medical field, he receives uh, medical ethics, but from engineers, we don't have such a thing. While when we design uh, robots or technology in general, it's seldomly neutral. And so by our design, we include consciousness or unconsciously ethical and social principles uh, in the design which has huge impact on how we will use it. For example, think of the iPhone. Uh, usually those products are made by often male engineers, mm. probably not having children uh, because very young and ambitious and so on. Mm. Uh, while they don't think how that will impact when you have a family, for example, when you have young children and so on. So that's why we also under the uh, at a lecture series at our university by Kathleen Gabriels. She's an ethicist that thinks about this new technology and she also wrote a, a chapter in the book. Uh, yeah, that as engineers, we need to be aware of the 
the ethical aspects and she gives some very nice uh, examples. So I think it's very interesting to Google her. And I think it's very important because yeah, there will be changes in our society due to robots. Uh, and what the general public thinks about it. And that is also why, in, for example, in our when we go to implementations of our robots, for example, we had a cobot installed at Audi Brussels. But when we first entered the factory, yeah, workers were very afraid. Yeah, you come with robots again, job loss. But from the beginning, we included sociologists to investigate how we can design and program the robot so it's with their requirements included and we found that social interaction is very important and now the robot has also the ability to understand uh, gestures and emotions and expresses emotions and now the robot is very accepted the workers are very proud to work with that robot it's also in the factory and there are hundreds of robots in that factory the only one for example with a nickname so it's really a different change. So I think to include also not only technical scientists, but also human and social sciences hmm. in it is of primary importance. That's a good point about the designing also. When you say that yeah. from male perspective or just a child, I think this is about philosophy as well. You really just in that. So that's a good point to be highlighted there to keep the end user in the loop and how exactly, they, uh, yes. they perceive it. So... Do you think that we have to integrate the soft robotics like research and early education for children? For instance, uh, Elon Musk, he said that for his kids, he said that uh, he did a private school where they can learn basics, a skill for, to do wrench or design, and he didn't let them go to normal school. Do you, do you agree with this kind of thought that we can, instead of investing a lot of time in early education, we can make soft robotics or any kind of research dedicated from the early education so we can have highly skilled uh, generation in, in specific research. Yeah, so that's why I'm also uh, heavily involved in STEM uh, education. Mm. Uh, I'm now also connected to, with the Flemish Ministry on Education to make new end goals and STEM will be an important aspect in it and I'm very happy it happens because it's years and years of trying to do mm. so with a lot of uh, persons not only in Flanders but also in the rest of Europe but we see now that STEM as so science, technology, engineering in Mars and making projects around them is becoming quite popular at least in Flemish uh, schools uh, and that's also why I at our university, together with other Flemish universities, started the local chapter of Robocop Junior, I think more than 10 years ago. And I also wrote a book like how the human body functions and how then robots function, how it, the robots think, how they hear, how they mm. speak and so on. And then how they can program their own uh, robots. And you see really from year to year, very young children being very enthusiastic with their new projects. Uh, the emotions are really impressive. And you also see them evolving year after year. And so now they start to build their own robots with AI for vision to detect a line and so on. So I think it's extremely important. I don't think everything should go to only project-based uh, uh, because, yeah, you still need to have the foundations of Mars and, and physics and so on. But I think it's complementary again that those projects around robots, and that's a big advantage of robots, that they're very appealing to include them 
as projects in the compulsory education of the children. And what is also important, I think, and it's especially to attract women, because at least in Belgium, that's mm. still not enough, is to show that there is a societal value and advantage of doing that, because that's for women, I think, very important. Uh, and that's what we also want to do. So, for example, that's why we never choose for robot wars, because I think that's more for boys, but like rescue robots and dancing robots to also attract the attention of women, which is very important. Oh, cool. So I, what's really sparked your interest in engineering? This is something from childhood, how you, you okay, I would like to do that. And how your previous studies be, like, equipped you to be a leading researcher now? Yeah, so as a child, I was always very impressed with everything that moves. So I started to build model planes, but I was not allowed for my mother to do it because that could crash. Mm. So my first was a model boat. And after a few years, she couldn't stop me anymore. So I started to build planes. And at first I built from kids, but then I started to design my own uh, planes with gliders, even with solar cells, so I could stay up very long in the air and so on. Mm. And then at the university, uh, I had the opportunity to work on that project of Lucy, the bipedal mm. pneumatic robot, and that's where it really uh, initiated my research, because I also saw that industrial robots, yeah, it was mature, I think, but that the whole new field of human-robot interaction and robots going out of those cages will become very important and that's why I started to become passionate by, by robots. Mm -hmm. So uh, you really have something that designed already in software equator. Do you have something you already designed in your lab and using in daily basis in your home? Something you already test every day? Uh, yeah, so we develop a lot of things, but none of those robots really ended up yet <laughs> at our home. Uh, the only thing is we developed a social a robot, a huggable robot called Probo, which also included a, a lot of soft materials because we wanted it to be very safe, but also huggable, so children could interact with it. And from that, we made small dolls, and my daughter is uh, sleeping with one of uh, uh, them. Uh, so we, we have quite a lot of robots at home, the grass. Uh, I have a scribbit, which is a robot that draws on our wall mm. to make art, uh, and so on. Uh, we have also a lot of domotic system at home uh, and uh, smart light speakers and so on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, our robots, uh, not yet. <laughs> not not functional. <laughs> so what is the most exciting part about your social group? Something you really would like to like, make keeps the vibes in the lab really energetic and passionate about work. What's really exciting? Yeah, so what I think is really important is that multidisciplinary uh, aspect. And that's why I think also robotics, that's why we unite different professors with different backgrounds so the researchers can, can work together. And I think that's a huge challenge, uh, but also I think the nicest thing that it's not very specialized in a very narrow, narrow thing, but yeah, that we work with children with autism, uh, rehabilitation, mm. uh, so that very broad spectrum of disciplines that I, which what I really like to work with completely other fields. And that's for me very exciting. Yeah. So as a PhD supervisor, what are the main qualities you're looking for the, the student uh, you'd like to join your lab or most important faculty you're looking for in the student? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's mostly passion. 
uh-huh. of course they should not dedicate their life to robots because mm. I think it's important they have also a broad view on interests and challenges of our society, mm. of environment, of our climate and so on. But yeah, during a PhD, it's running from problem to problem. And of course, they need to have a basic solid education. But I think passion is the main driver to keep being keeping motivated to overcome those challenges. And if they have a, a goal and a view on what they want to reach, probably it's only a fraction of what they envision. But I think passion is really important. Mm-hmm. So what is the most uh, valuable advice was given to you when you were a PhD student? Something that really was a life changing for you, advice? Yeah, I think it's to uh, to be good in a particular aspect, eh? to, to uh, excellence in, in depth, eh? to know something good, but be able to connect that with other fields. Uh, so I think it's called the T model. So, uh, so that you, you're expertise, for example, that materials, eh? so that are researchers that are very good in, in combining the two, but connected, okay, with other fields, eh? being able to talk with a psychologist or a sociologist and to connect it to them. So I think that's, I think, the future also for, for all workers, because we're going from industry 4.0 to industry 5.0, mm. in which craftsmanship will become more important, eh? the behaving, the ability to know a craft very well, but that in a multidisciplinary setting. Uh, so I think that will be the key uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. So lastly, if there is advice you can give to a starting beach student interested in soft robotics, what kind of advice you can give it to uh, a student or researcher, early stage researcher? Uh, I think it's uh, not to give up. I was a competition swimmer also as a child. I was mm. not really good in it, but I had to swim like crazy amount of times, <laughs> like sometimes twice or three times a day I had to swim. So it was a lot of hours in the water. Ah. Uh, but there I learned, yeah, that it's also a lot of hard work needed. So it's not only about a good idea, but turn that idea into something that works. Yeah, that takes really a hell of a job. Uh, and for example, like I said before, the Shira project, it took us six times always rewriting the project, improving it, go, going over the disappointed that it was a high score, but not good enough. Uh, so, uh, yeah, work hard, but of course, enjoy uh, the successes. Oh, thanks so much for this interesting talk. And at the end, I would like to thank you. And on behalf of IEEE Softbox Committee, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.